DMB on demand. Um, let me just start, I guess, by saying I, it, it's really impressive, Andrew. It's a, a labor of love. Um, it's comprised of breathtakingly beautiful DMB-inspired artwork and merchandise. Um, in addition to many brilliant logos that I've seen uh, that have been crafted already, including DMB Mamas, which is sacred to me and I adore. Hey everyone, and welcome to DM Beyond Demand, the podcast. We have a few notes we want to touch base on today before we get into our interview. First of all, dmbeyonddemand.com, the shop, has now moved over to Etsy. The shirts, hoodies, tote bags, tank tops, phone cases, and stickers have all been transferred. We're slowly going to route all shop links over to our Etsy page in the next week or two. This move increases our sales, which allows us to run more specials and sales, lower prices, and add new designs. So you can't really turn down an offer where everyone wins. And in this case, everyone wins. Regarding the podcast, we have new layers and a new format for the podcast that will be coming out. And that's in addition to what we're doing with our interviews. We want to add a lighter format that will have us bring on a guest and pick a song and go lyric by lyric in explaining what the lines mean to us and how we live that message. This will be for guests who want to come on the show but don't necessarily want to dig into their personal stories. They want to contribute their part to understanding the commonality in the music um, and discovering and nurturing the DMB family at the same time. Our standard format has now been set in stone. This is what you'll hear most often when you come and listen to a DMB On Demand podcast. First, you'll have the intro. Then, you'll have this year in DMB history. Each episode will feature a new year. We'll start with 92, and then the next week will be 93, and then 94 and so on, where we break down the history of the band from that year. Then we'll jump into some DMB news, whether it be announcing what the next show is for the drive-in show that DMB is doing uh, since postponing their tour, any new music that's coming up, any charity news, anything going on at all with DMB we'll cover that week. Then we'll jump right into the guest intro that merges right into the guest interview. After the guest interview, I'll share a personal story about my life and how DMB has impacted it or influenced or given it perspective when looking back. And then we'll close up the episode. And that's pretty much going to be the format for our full length episodes. We also might uh, have turned a corner in that we're no longer having to go out and search for interviews. People are coming to us. They hear the podcast and they want to share their story or they want to be part of what we're doing and they proactively reach out. It's been a little overwhelming but flattering at the same time. There are more stories than I could have ever imagined 
And we may get to the point where we have to do two episodes per week just to keep up. We haven't firmed up that plan by any means, but it looks like that this will be the case for at least two weeks per month. We just need to get our recording process down to a familiar routine so that the time it takes to edit and produce an episode isn't too long. Another idea we had was doing a two times per week format where on Sunday we release a full episode as outlined before. And then on Wednesday we just do a mini episode where it's just a simple lead in to the interview with a guest and then that's it. 30 minutes at most in and out and done. Lastly, regarding the podcast, I want to talk about somebody who's been influential in getting this podcast to where it is today and helping aim it to where we want it to go. When I first started this, I had a very small scope. At first, it was going to be just once a month interview a guest. And then I was told, no, keep it short. Do 20-minute episodes in and out, just general news and such. And then I decided I wanted to dig in deeper and get to know your stories. But even so, it was, you know, once per month um, until Haley came along. And all of a sudden, the trajectory for the podcast changed instantly. She threw out some thoughts about what we could do and, and maybe we could record weekly and how to further explore people's stories. And then maybe down the road, we can flip it around and get a chance to enter, interview some of the band members to see how the fans have impacted their life throughout the years. And since then, she helped get quite a few guests lined up for the podcast. She's been a close friend and confidant with her fingerprints all over any sort of growth we have here. You know, there's a reason that she's been mentioned by name from so many of our guests. She's insightful, trustworthy, kind, and true. And we'll be bringing her back for a very special episode soon that breaks down where we're headed with the podcast and the brand in general. That episode will probably drop sometime mid-June, early July. It's not going to be one of our regularly timed episodes. It'll just be a bonus episode we drop once we get it done. Lastly, today, during this episode, I've had some issues with my microphone. It lasts for about 15 minutes, and for two segments, my audio will be lower and muffled. And near the end you'll hear some slight rumblings if you're using headphones and earbuds. So the truth is, we're still getting our routine fine-tuned, and this was all new to us as of, you know, a month or two ago. So please be patient while we dial it all in so that it's perfect. Okay, everyone, get settled in and open up your hearts. Welcome to DMB On Demand, the podcast, The Best of What's Around, Season 1, Episode 8, titled To Be Seen.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, today our our guest is Leia, and otherwise known as DMB Mamas on Twitter and Facebook and all the social media platforms. Um, she is our fourth guest to come on that is part of Dave's global PR team. We've had Haley on, Michelle, and a few others, and, and she belongs to that outstanding group with uh, these women that are powerful and courageous and helpful and just amazing people to the heart. So I've been wanting to have her on for, well, frankly, since we started making the podcast. And finally, our schedule synced up and we're able to sit down. And uh, this one's going to be a little bit longer. We may even stretch it out to two episodes, a part one and a part two. But This is the first episode that we've recorded that somebody's going to be able to really stretch out and stretch their legs and get comfortable and and go deep into their story. Uh, She has a lot to share, and I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to find some commonality in what she shares. And that's what the whole point of this podcast is, is to explore that commonality. And the more we can see it, the more we can try to use it to be better to each other. So that, we'll go ahead and dive right into the interview. Welcome. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. I I truly appreciate it. If you could just start off with uh, the basics, your name, location, profession, things like that, and the floor is yours. Thank you, Andrew. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Um, My name is Leah Green. I live in Osprey, Florida, right outside of Sarasota. Um, I am a writer and entrepreneur working on receiving my master's in counseling. Um, I'm currently uh, I'm editing and republishing my father's unfinished book. It's entitled Emptiness to Empowerment, as well as working on a film project about my blind and deaf Olympic downhill skier dad and his inspirational life, his his loves, and his uh, teammates, like the legendary amputee skier Ted Kennedy Jr. I'm also working on launching a philanthropy-focused, fun, awesome new casino table game called Spectra with a couple of very close brothers of mine, my husband Joshua and our genius friend Gennaro. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It's so good to be here. Oh, not a problem at all. Thanks, thanks for stopping in. Um, so can you break down a little bit? What do you do for uh, work, your profession, and then outside of work, when we're not all stuck at home with the coronavirus social distancing, what you enjoy doing uh, outside, whether you have any special interests or, or hobbies, but if you could speak to your profession and then what you do outside of work, yeah, of course. Well, right now, um, I am, again, I'm working on this project, a, a, a long-standing project of my dad's. Uh, he had written a book called Emptiness to Empowerment, Changing Physical and Other Losses into Strengths. And we're republishing that to a bit of a more mainstream um, emptiness to empowerment, um, transforming life losses into strengths. So this has been an ongoing project, um, and we're really excited about this. Um, I am in the uh, phases of getting my master's degree in in, uh, clinical social work and um, simultaneously I I am mom to an adorable, funny and smart eight-year-old. His name is Jude 
Um, I am a bit of a yogini, I guess. Um, I've been doing yoga for many years, um, and I love to hike, and I love to camp and backpack. Um, and I, um, I've been practicing, and I enjoy um, two forms of belly dance, um, Egyptian cabaret and American tribal style. Um, I've been doing this since I was in my late 20s, um, and um, I really enjoy doing that, and I'm working on um, a teacher training program. Um, we have this remarkable student program. It's called SEED, um, Self-Expression, Empowerment, and Education Through Dance. Um, we teach children of all ages from little seeds to our, um, our seedlings to our pomegranate seeds. Um, and this is an after-school program for girls ages 15 to 18, teaching um, all sorts of um, empowerment, um, self-expression, as well as um, career mentorship and um, financial management. Um, there's just it's just an incredible program with dance as a reward. Um, it's really remarkable. So I'm really proud of this. And um, my class, my my band of girlfriends back in Santa Fe with Pomegranate Studios. Um, I have some of my girlfriends out in Sacramento um, dancing with another. Um, in the ITS group, there's all sorts of um, belly dance out there happening right now. Um, so, you know, really immersed in that world. And um, I love good food. Um, I really enjoy, you know, all sorts of world cuisine. I love to cook. Um, my favorites are Thai, East Indian. I love African food, Caribbean. And um, I do um, practice uh, a healthy organic as well as a gluten-free lifestyle. And um, when I'm not leaning towards a sugar-free diet, which is frequently enough, I, I love um, to enjoy Guinness here and there, some Baileys and Jamesons, and um, in the vein of DMB, I love bourbon and whiskey. You're not alone on your taste. Um, Guinness or any you know real strong stout is, is what I prefer as well. But I, I wanted to go back to the book that you're working on. and. Uh, one of the things we like to do on the podcast is try to reach some people that may be struggling with mental help and, and let them know that they're not alone, that we have some shared experiences and a shared soundtrack uh, when we're going through these things. And the idea of emptiness to empowerment, it sounds intriguing to say the least, but it also sounds like a momentous amount of work needed to go from emptiness to empowerment could you just touch base working on this book what's the one thing um, people aren't seeing trying to go from complete emptiness to empowerment what's the one thing that they really need to focus on to be able to get on that path well when i think of my dad i feel like the one thing that really served him well is a few things um there's a few, you know, gosh, you know, a tremendous uh, sense of determination. Um, and I believe in my father's case, and I know when I would see him struggle, you know, in his self-effacing sense of humor, you know, his ability to laugh at himself. Um, I find that to be um, a remarkable tool. Um, I, for me, um, I've done a lot of healing work, a lot of spiritual work, a lot of shamanistic type of emotional clearing work, 
And with this, um, I found that embracing the shadow and really facing that, leaning into it, embracing it, um, integrating it is a really big part of it. Um, you know, I think of the lyric, um, what you see, what you see, what you see, what you see is human. And when we embrace that humanness in ourselves and in each other, I feel like there's really a freedom there to embrace those flawed qualities that maybe either we were programmed to feel shame about or guilt about, or whether we just judged in ourselves or somebody else judged in us at a young age and we trauma got stuck. But I feel that um, to really know that it's all good, you know, as far as whatever feelings come up around, um, you know, our self-perception or um, struggles, you know, doubts, fears, and judgments, um, to also know that there's always somebody out there that has your back, that sees you. I know, Andrew, you were really integrated for that with me um, at different moments when I, you know, it wasn't necessarily in that moment articulated, but I really felt and you expressed that you saw me, and that's huge. Um, especially for somebody, you know, for me, my dad who can't see to be seen is a really big deal. But, you know, so to be that for somebody else, um, I feel as a person being a friend, also, um, so important to be a good listener, you know, not to listen to change something or come up with some, you know, idea or solution, but to just listen, repeat back what you hear, feel, imagine if you're that person, how would you feel if that were you, if those were your circumstances? And share from that place of vulnerability with a friend when they're going through struggles. You know, um, we're all that friend um, who's there for somebody. And then there are times that we're all that friend that's reaching out and is freaking out or, you know, really just needing, um, you know, somebody to, to bounce things off of. Sometimes we don't realize that's what we need, but sometimes we just need to be heard, you know, just a soundboard for whatever emotions might come up one thing is for sure they're always fleeting this too shall pass so those are some you know just common elements of uh you know what i've experienced in my life you know on my own with my dad what i saw him go through just as a friend having friends um you know what being an empathic person um, how would you feel if this were you? I feel that was always a good sort of, um, you know, uh, just sort of exercise to practice is to imagine you're that person. How would you feel? What type of response feels good as far as how to share with somebody? Would that be something you would want to hear if you were hurting? So just a lot of that sort of back and forth, pretending you're somebody else and how would that feel if that were you? And and opening up to vulnerability, you know, the more we're open to our process, the more people feel safe around us when they're going through something. And then a safe place to share and freak out no matter what it is and let it out because you know when you're able to just and let it out and bug out or, you know, just emote, um, it's interesting how on the other side of it all, you're like, wow, I feel so much better and so much clearer and, you know, just so much happier and um, safer. 
when you're able to just be transparent and just let it all out. So that those are, you know, that's not necessarily elements in the book, but just elements that to me, you know, in my own life and as a witness in other people's lives um, would say those would be my go to pieces. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I was so excited uh, to sit down for this interview. The the depth, <laughs> the lengths you go to express yourself is something that I admire, just just flat out. And uh, you know, there were some really good tips there. Another one that I kept thinking on when you were talking is. Um, self-talk you know what you're telling yourself so and it starts it starts the second you wake up in the morning the first thing you tell yourself is either okay i can hit the snooze button and lay down or i can get up and tackle the day and then your self-talk just doesn't stop but the only person that can make a change in your self-talk is is yourself and with all the tips that you just shared, especially with putting yourself in other people's shoes as much as possible, um, all those things will, will help that self-talk, I think. And um, that was a big hurdle for me to get over personally. Once I was diagnosed with bipolar type two and I had the medicine and counseling that I needed, my self-talk wasn't nearly as horrible as it was before then. But even after I got the help that I needed and the resources that I needed, my self-talk was still, uh, I just, I wasn't good enough, was the bottom line. And to the point where, why try? As I started to build up, you know, empathy and build up perspective, that self-talk started to become more and more positive. And, um, you know, everything that you just shared about getting from that emptiness over to empowerment is, is stuff that I really could have used when I was battling with mental illness. And so I think it's important that uh, we support people who are trying to help others. And at the end of it, that's what you're doing, is you're just trying to help your brother and your sister live their best life. So. Uh, Thank you for going into that a little bit more in depth. So the podcast and the brand obviously circles around DMB and, and the music. And I always start off with the most difficult question. And it's not difficult in that it's hard to answer. Like it, it goes beneath the surface and scratches deep. It's difficult because you have to narrow things down, and Dave Matthews Band fans have a hard time doing that. So we're going to start with the, the harder question up front. What's your favorite DMB song, and why is that one your favorite? So thank you. That is, as you said, it is a very challenging question, and um, I will preface by saying I do have a rotating trilogy of favorite songs. However... I will pinpoint my true favorite and as well as my eight-year-old son happens to be his first favorite our very first favorite song is Minarets so first I have a, a number of reasons reasons why I love Minarets um, but first I love Minarets because it's so much more than a song but it's also a visceral experience um, which upon my very first listen 
brought me to this mysterious, mystical landscape, this place where my son often describes seeing camels in his mind's eye. So, and um, in some versions, as we all know, Dave opens a song with these series of folkloric sounding tribal sounds, these toots, buzzes, and rings, conjuring images of gypsies and a true caravan of sounds spanning, spanning the Middle East and into the heat, heart, and soul of Africa. And this, to me, represents one of my favorite aspects of DMB's music, their whole world sound. I just love this. So, to me, um, the song, on the, the original song on Remember Two Things, it opens with uh, Santa Maria or Saint Mary, choose your children, Santa Maria, virgin child, all our wars over you, we are fighting, in our time, faith justifying. To me, this always has just hit me so hard. And, you know, I would ponder on this song and it just brought me to this place. But in essence, this song represents the, the, the faces of the divine feminine aspect of God. The Virgin, the Divine Mother, the Crone, even the less reputable Mary we meet three songs later in a Christmas song. It's this trinity of divine feminine, the divine mother, and the fa this face, the symbol of mother God, is who we are fighting over and about. And to me, that encapsulates just so much of the essence of Dave Matthews' band, um, what this, their music means to me, um, this exaltation and cry out to the divine mother, the face of mother God. It's just a very powerful song for me. It's a very powerful feeling for me. It's a very powerful um, knowing deep in my heart and soul that so much of the imbalance that is going on in this world for to, from today back and spanning decades and centuries is, is just out of this as some people would think it's a trite thing, but when we talk about God as a he and we don't say mother, father, God, and we just honor the male version of God, and the patriarchal society we all live in is um, truly reminded uh, reminds me of this song. Um, but to get back into the song, you know, we've learned in literal terms that a minaret is a tall, slender tower, typically part of a mosque with, with a balcony from which the faithful are called to prayer. So in, in minarets, the setting is a serious, it's sobering, and it's a core reminder message through centuries of time and countless wars fought and our recent exponentially explosive expansion of imbalance and disease on this planet is at its core, to me, a result of this split and disconnection with this divine mother principle of God and thousands of years of worship of only the Father God aspect since sometime around 3000 BCE. In the song, the lyric, Brother Caged, Babylon Will Fall, Sister Chained and Bound, Beaten and Bleeding, the TV's on, to me this explains it, wearing a tie like daddy speaks it, screaming from the minarets. These screams from the faithful who adhere to the faith and promise of a father god figure sitting on his throne alone in the sky is the result of a society out of balance for thousands of years. The story remains the same today except the men wear suits and ties instead of robes and sandals, yet times they do change. So that is uh, my favorite song, Andrew. So, after listening to that, I'm deadly serious. I could sit and listen to you break down songs all day long. 
and and not get even remotely tired the the perspective you have and the depth in that perspective is just mind-blowing to me and uh hearing what you what you just explained guarantee you i put that song on when we're done and hear it like it's the first time i've listened to it at all um mm-hmm. so keeping along the same line of thought what is your favorite lyric from the band or it can be a couple mm-hmm. if you want and why mm-hmm. is that your favorite lyric so um another <clears throat> wonderful question that left me pondering for a bit of time um but again you know brought me back to the core um I love so many lyrics. There's just scores of lyrics that I could say are my favorite, but um, and and they're all embedded in my heart forever. So it's almost hard to choose a lyric than a song, but I don't know. They're both pretty challenging. So, however, as you know, Andrew, I have this thing about being seen, so to speak. So, with this in mind, my favorite lyric is from Grace is Gone which is take my eyes take my heart i need them no more if never again they fall upon the one i so adore and um the song just gets me this song this lyric um so my dad um who passed in 2011 at this still very too young age of 64 he was blind and deaf with a de- degenerative de- condition known as retinitis pigmentosa um this disease erodes eyesight and causes blindness um and when he was a teenager he was more precisely diagnosed with Usher syndrome which also combines uh, retinitis pigmentosa with hearing loss so um i have as mentioned i had this thing about being seen as my dad never really you know physically saw me until one day when i was in my 20s i felt that although you know he couldn't see me physically i really felt we were having this awesome conversation and I had the sense that he really saw me and he saw my heart and got who I was. And as I knew more about who I was at this time after this ongoing experience of so much death and loss in my life, um particularly in college with a bunch of close friends and coworkers um by my mid 20s and and my 30s. So you know there's just something about this feeling of being seen which is so to me um with my experience with my dad um it's just very vulnerable it's chilling and and very meaningful to me and i feel that this lyric embodies the overall essence of of feeling seen metaphorically as well as literally especially overall um as i feel by the spirit of the music of the dave matthews band so that's my favorite lyric um i would say my top favorite out of maybe 500 <laughs> So everybody has a moment um if you're a Dave Matthews band fan where it was just kind of solidified like okay I am all in on this music and sometimes it's a song sometimes it's a show that they went went to sometimes it's a life event and the songs came in right on time but I'm curious how long you've been a fan of DMB and was there a particular moment that you can speak on as to what really drove it home for you? So, I have been a fan since 
1991. Um, and, you know, if there's a song that first made me a fan, um, it was just, uh, you know, just Ants Marching. Um, I first remember hearing Ants Marching. I was waiting tables at uh, Salem, Virginia's infamous Mac and Bob's restaurant. During my sophomore year at Roanoke College, uh, we were about an hour and a half away from Charlottesville. Um, and when I heard this song, and it was funny about, I have just crazy synchronicity with the band and the evolution of the band, but we had um, a table 40 was our big top by the window that we would have our staff meetings and where we had our large parties and we were across the street from the courthouse. And so it was where like the judges would sit during lunch. And so, you know, I worked there for like six years. So I got to know pretty much like everybody in Salem. And um, so table 40 was like our, you know, our hangout table. So of course, when number 40 and number 41 came out, you know, that was always funny. So I think of table 40 and, um, but when I, I was there, when I heard ants marching, I was standing at table 40 and uh, heard the ants marching and I thought, like the instrumentation and the vocals were just so like quirky and intriguing and they were so odd like, like nothing I've ever heard before um I didn't know really what to make of it when I first heard it and you know basically they played the song like every fifth song so very quickly I got to know Ants Marching and the Dave Matthews Band you know, within a couple of days through that song, and I was hooked from Ants Marching. Um, I remember then, you know, once I got to know the song, I, whenever I would hear those first 28 opening drum, drum beats um, of the original Ants Marching on Remember Two Things, whatever I was doing without fail, I would have to stop and count the drum beats. I could be serving food, I could be whatever, but it would just completely, like, stop whatever I was doing and I'd have to wait for those drum beats to make sure I was on beat and then catch it at the moment that the song opened into that joyful opening so you know those are good times um, and you know from the very beginning I just I was hooked on the Dave Matthews band and once I was hooked it was just Dave and the Dave Matthews band it was kind of like that was it for me and then I became a Dave Matthews band nerd <laughs> Yeah, I, as am I. Definitely, definitely <laughs> a Dave Matthews band. I can't, I'm not one of those fans that can tell you, you know, in detail what a set was years ago, but definitely a nerd for them. Um, mm -hmm. So there's kind of layers to the DMV family. There's, you know, the general audience who like the music, and then you have people that will go to shows and, then you'll have people that you meet at shows um, or even like we met online. Um, there's a lot of layers to it. So I'm, I'm curious what the DMB community means to you. And if you want to talk about it on different levels, whether it be, um, you know, the universal community or whether it be DMB mamas, there's so much depth to that community. I'm curious what it means to you. Well, um, I guess I could say I could start out with what brought me into the community um, and what I love. So basically, 
the community just means so much to me. I, I first want to say that um, I was brought into the community for a couple of reasons. Um, well, maybe actually three reasons. Um, first, of course, after the band and their prolific volume of incredible music, um, it was Chester Copperpot who has shared some of the most incredible Dave Matthews Band shows on YouTube that none of us would have seen, witnessed otherwise. Um, so is I love to do, um, and I, I, it's really important to me. I always like to give a shout out to Dave Matthews Band's DMB family's most appreciated friend, the infamous Chester Copperpot, for his labors of love. I mean, truly, I don't have words to express my gratitude for how he helped to bring so many of us together. And um, I just really appreciate that. Um, second, um, I was first introduced to the Facebook DMB fan community in the summer, summer of 2014 um, with a post from this man, his name was Curtis Laws, who was reaching out to the band and the Dave Matthews Band family on behalf of his beautiful wife, Natalie, um, who was very sick with stage four ovarian cancer. And um, it really moved me. And um, I was so moved by the depth of passion for his wife that I felt compelled to reach out to Curtis and forward his message to the warehouse uh, with a request of his wife's favorite song, um, which is Steady As We Go. And when the band played the song right before her passing, Curtis was so uplifted and so sure that they received this message and it just changed his whole somber tone and, and mood um, for just even those couple of days that we were in touch. Um, it just uplifted him so much. Um, it, was, it was really cathartic for him. It was cathartic for me. Um, it was really a gift. And um, so, you know, getting to meet people um my family moved uh, we moved from Kauai and santa fe where my son was born in, on Kauai. um in 2014 we moved to florida and uh, we passed through curtis's hometown of port neches texas and our families were able to meet and we shared a lovely meal together at the infamous uh there's this restaurant called larry's french market and cajun restaurant over fried gator gumbo and crawfish and we had a really great time. Um, before we visited, we, we sent a little tangerine memory tree to Curtis and his seven-year-old son, Jack, and his two-year-old daughter, Abby, uh, which was delivered. And when we arrived, um, they had planted the tree, and it still is alive today, um, as we've been friends ever since. And even last night, we chatted about these memories. And, um, you know, I'm sure we'll be friends for life um, and that was my first you know, introduction to the DMB family. And my first um, sort of energetic experience was just very, um, just so cathartic and so meaningful. And But I feel like um, on a level, uh, formally, um, in a way, uh, I felt like I formally became a part of the DMB Twitter family um, when my personal feed, uh, which is at Leiliana, um, received a follow from Stefan Lassard, and I was 
of course, so overjoyed about this. Um, at the time, I was reaching out and I was tweeting to Boyd Tinsley, who was at this time still with the band, and he was dealing with a carpal tunnel issue in his wrist, and I was sending him requests to consider a visit to my master applied kinesiologist, Dr. Tom in Santa Fe. So these were my, um, you know, how I met, you know, how I kind of got to meet people. But I, I like to think about uh, the DMB community sort of like, you know, when you go to a party and you meet that one person who loves DMB and they're super interesting and you talk to them all night and you talk DMB. And so it's like that party and that cool person, but like everybody's that cool person at that party. And um, I never anticipated the type of connections that I would have with people. It's very um, synchronistic and uh, we've all been obviously affected and moved and changed on so many levels by the music in I'm sure many similar ways as we've all been through loss and life together and the music just has this certain way of opening us in ways that nothing else could um, and I think that since we have that commonality there's something really organic about the connections between the people in the fan base because I don't know everybody I've met is just awesome like they're all friends and they're all cool and they're all I you know on the same wavelength and the fact that that was so unexpected and for me Dave Matthews band like I said I was a DMB geek so I didn't have friendships like this until um, I came onto Twitter and started getting to know people in the DMB family and realized these are my friends these are like these are this is like family of friends and that's just I don't even almost know what else to say about it because it's just really profound and you know I have conversations getting to the point of almost every day with somebody in the fan family and it's always like I can't get off the phone because we could go on and talk forever um, so I'm really grateful for this and I'm so grateful for the band for I don't know if they realize how many friendships they've brought together and how many amazing memories even outside of the concerts you know I mean it's great to meet people at shows and hang out and have that amazing backdrop but to actually want to hang out with people that you haven't even like hung out with at shows and they're you know your com one common denominator is the Dave Matthews band that's just extraordinary DMB Mamas now, I feel, is, um, you know, it evolved in ways already. Um, it's been since July of 2018. And for me, I started the platform as um, sort of a conscious collective platform, um, a place for other people, other mamas, sisters, girlfriends, um, people that respected their mamas. <laughs> Um, and that wasn't limited to women, of course, you know, speaking about the divine feminine, you know, we all have 
masculine and feminine aspects. So those who embraced um, the feminine and the feminine side of the music, which was um, which is such a big part of the music. So um, at first, I, I feel that I began the the feed as a platform for this conscious collective and a voice for other people um, to share um, their stories or um, you know even a place where if in an emergency somebody needed to reach out and find somebody you know a helpful place um, to collaborate and um, assist others um, but what I didn't quite expect was they um, how people would come to me um, around philanthropy and how that really inspired me um, on so many levels, um, you know, with, in my own works with my dad skiing and, um, you know, the disabled skiing um, was just such a big part of my life. So, for instance, when Angela Ebend um, came to me with the Limkind Foundation, um, and this is this incredible organization that creates prosthetic limbs for kids all over the world. Um, it just like these alignments were just really uncanny, but they also really just, um, they were so close to home for me. Um, it really touched me so deeply because I had spent my whole childhood immersed around disabled skiers and, you know, the whole theme of empowerment through loss. And um, so, you know, really this, this theme of philanthropy and, being there for each other and the sense of, um, you know, always being there for each of you know, everybody in the DMV family. Um, and of course, outside of the family, but being like a, a, a network of support, um, that I feel is what is evolving. And um, the love is just blossoming and I feel the camaraderie and collaboration is expanding and of course, you know how it is with the music, you know, the joy and the, you know, the good vibes and like one song into the other. It's just like this like cacophony of like excitement and explosion of, you know, it's like this ecstatic state, um, whether we're at shows or couch touring or just listening to music or hanging out and talking about music. Um, it's just this wonderful feeling of um, fellowship. So I feel like that's increasing more. Um, and, um, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of when I think about, um, DMB on demand and where it started and where it's going. It's like, there's only, you know, there's, it's like just more, uh, more of what you're doing now, you know, um, it, it, yet at the same time, you know, there's just so many, um, hidden corners of where all these other wonderful opportunities show up and, um. I really have been enjoying that. It's uh, it, it, it's just been a magical journey. Um, it is just constantly connecting with people who are really wonderful, and you know, bringing other people together. It's 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 been a really. I know Dave once described, um, you know, uh, beginning his history with the band and how it was like, you know. I don't know if you described it quite like, you know, falling into a river per se, but all of a sudden it's like the river's taking you and you're just going with it. And I feel like that's sort of what's happening. You know, I, I just didn't quite expect um, it to be as fun and connected and 
um, feeling of doing what I love to do more than anything else is to really, um, you know, connect with this group of people. So um, I'm really happy with where DMB um, has birthed from, and I'm also really excited about where it's headed. Well, I think I said DMB, but DMB Mamas is what I meant. So I wish I could elaborate on what DMB On Demand is the way you just did with DMB Mamas, but I can't. And um, what we are right now, we may not be in three months. The, the brand is kind of growing however it wants to grow. Um, now, like you said, you get in the river and all of a sudden the river takes you and, and you just have to let go. So one thing we do with our guests is try to get their input on what the Beyond Demand is and what they'd like to see it evolve into. That way as we start to, well not start to, but as we continue to grow, we're using notes from our friends to help guide that process. So what is the Beyond Demand to you? And what would you like to see it evolve into? So, and I'm not just saying this, um, but you know, DMB on demand. Um, let me just start, I guess, by saying I, it, it's really impressive, Andrew. It's a, a labor of love. Um, it's comprised of breathtakingly beautiful DMB inspired artwork and merchandise. Um, in addition to many brilliant logos that I've seen uh, that have been crafted already, including DMB Mamas, which is sacred to me and I adore. Um, I thank you so much for this again. Um, the song artwork is, is incredible. And I know I'm not just speaking for myself when I say that seeing the images, beautiful images and, and with the corresponding perfectly matched DMB song lyrics in my feed just make me smile every day. So I'm really um, happy with that. Um, and in addition, so um, I am enjoying already seeing the evolution of the DMB On Demand podcast. And I must say, I'm really partial to your guests. I, I really, um, I can say that I'm friends with every one of your guests that you've had on the show so far. You've interviewed some amazing people um and that i've wanted to get to know more about anyways <laughs> so that was you know really great to get to kind of dive in without you know having a group skype conversation just yet uh, but we have a lot to talk about um so from this i really want to thank everybody who shared their hearts and, and their stories with DMB on demand. I think that's just um, a really great thing that's going on. I know from the very first show, hearing you speak with Jesse, um, I listened to that show in one take. I couldn't turn it off. It was um, really, it made me, it touched me. It made me cry. Um, I loved hearing Jesse's story. You know, it, 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 it was just so meaningful to me. Um, so, you know, these stories that people are sharing, it, it, it helps other, it helps others to find their own voices and share their stories and everybody's stories are so interesting and, you know, there's always this sort of common thread, like of total understanding with what somebody's, you know, experienced through a song or a shared memory with Dave Matthews band. Um, so I'm really enjoying the podcast and I'm really enjoying the store. 
and um, I think you're doing a great job and I'm, I'm proud of you. Just want to say congratulations. So like you said, it's, it's a labor of love. It's something that I would do even if there was no audience for it. I just, I like being able to take my skill and wrap it up into something that I love such as DMV and its music. Um, and I couldn't have said it any better about our previous guest on the podcast. And, um, you know, talking about their stories, I, I end up feeling like we have more in common than we, than we don't. And same thing goes with this interview here today. Uh, all of them have just been amazing. The vulnerability that they have coming on here and talking about some of this stuff is admirable to say the least um so i agree yeah world is kind of crazy right now and i think everybody could use something to help give them perspective so if you had the chance to sit down and play one song just one for the world to hear every man woman and child would listen to the song what song would you choose from the DMB catalog and, and why would you choose that specific song? Kind of an easy one, but there are a few, but this song I would choose. I wonder if anybody else has chosen this song yet, but I would choose best of what's around. So my reason for best of what's around is kind of obvious, I would say, but that, I want to sing the whole song right now, just describe, but seriously, that opener, like all the way through, it's just, I feel the perfect song to share with the world. It's friendly, it's sincere, it's so happy to see you, it's a kind-hearted song, it's like a reach out to a friend, a known friend or new friend, it's happy, uplifting, it's a there's always a solution kind of song, and I've always got your back kind of song, it's a song that's the friend you always want in your life. And um, to me, this song is, is also a representation of how over the past almost 30 years, uh, the music of Dave Matthews has helped to bring out the most ex exalted parts of my own humanity, um, bring out the best of myself. I have described to our friend David of Shut Up, I Love You is what I love so much about that song. I feel like the music of Dave Matthews' band brings out the best in me and the best of others. And I feel like this song sort of speaks into that. Um, it shines a light on one's true inner joy. Um, I feel this, it, it shines a light on who we are. It, it reflects our human nature as well as our highest divine potential. And um, I feel that, you know, this song represents how much the music overall pretty much transports us to this place whenever we listen to it. It just, just is so uplifting and um, the music is so awesome in this way, you know, it's like medicine to the soul. So I guess, you know, I would say the best of what's around is sort of like a, like a lantern in the dark kind of song, you know, like that says it's all going to be okay and I'm totally here for you. And it's, it's that kind of song, you know, it's just so, so sweet. And that's, that would be my song. Well, to answer your question, uh, no, nobody's chosen that song yet, but it's a good one. That's for sure. Um, it always reminded me, you know, some songs try to put a smile on your face. Some songs 
try to make you understand that it's okay, whatever rough patch you're going through. But this song always gave me a proverbial hug. That's what that song does. It just gives me a hug, wraps its arms around me, and lets me know, like, hey, it's it's all right, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so that was a really, really good song to, to use um, in your response mm-hmm. there. So I want you to think of, and you can take as much time as you need, I want you to think of a high point in your life where things were going really well and how either DMB's music impacted that in real time or gives perspective to that situation when looking back at it. It's funny, it's a great question because I do have this one, it's a pretty specific moment. Um, I mean, there's just so much reflection on so many different songs and lyrics, but this one song, so I would say, we call it an impactful memory. Um, I would say that uh, driving across country with my girlfriends, uh, my girlfriend's Elizabeth, um, Liz Barst, who is um, in the DMB family on Twitter, um, my girlfriends Kristen and Katie J. Um, they, we were driving across country in Katie's um, tightly packed black Saab 900 and we were listening to Lie in Our Graves, like every, you know, third song. And um, I, I vividly remember hearing uh, this lyric uh, in a number of places, but would you not like to be sitting on top of the world with your legs hanging free? And I just was flooded with so much bliss every time I would hear that, with the sun shining on my face, and watching the majestic rock formations and all the stops we made. We were in Bryce Canyon and Arches and Zion National Park. So I would say that song paired with those girlfriends and places and memories, just, you know, epic and filled with context and meaning. So that that would be um, that song, that time in life, um, that really happy place and happy song and matching a memory with a song as I would I guess say that that would have been okay we're gonna kind of go to the other side of the spectrum is there a particular moment in your life that you can remember uh, uh, maybe a lower point that either a Dave Matthews band song impacted or gives context to that bad situation when reflecting on it definitely Definitely, and it will remain with me for the rest of my life. Um, but um, during my my father's final days into his passing, um, I felt this really true, this like inner sense of what I would say, uh, you know, a guardian angel or even like a gatekeeper um, was um, the sacred protector that I felt that I was of my father's body and his spirit and essence as he was so close to departing um, into the transition between worlds. Um, It was this very um, quiet, vulnerable, scary, fragile, precious place and moment. And so in the song Sweet, um, the lyric, um, cover me, cover me, cover me till I'm gone. Um, 
it, it really um, it was always so impactful, but it evolved into this whole new meaning for me. Um, as I would I would conjure the song and, and this lyric leading until the, the moment of my dad's passage. And as I saw the final glimpse of my father's face um, as the door of his you know, real simple pine casket was closed for the very last time, I stood there and I just stood there frozen and stoic and transfixed, almost in shock and witness of my father's cremation while his, his sister and brother stood by near me sobbing in grief and loss and um, holding each other. And with this moment, the lyric, cover me, cover me, cover me till I'm gone, it, it, it evolved into this deeper sense of a covering for somebody that I loved so deeply with such intensity and passion and protection for well beyond these moments and days. A part of me too, it morphed with him into this burning spiritual place of spirit with my dad. And as a result, this covering to me became the most significant spiritual assignment from God ever bestowed upon me in my life to cover this beloved soul and human being until his body and, and spirit and, and essence had truly and safely departed. And um, I always think of that when I hear that lyric is, you know, that sense of really covering somebody, covering for them, like guarding them with every single fiber of your being and every molecule of your essence until you know that their body and spirit are safe and free. So, a little bit of a hypothetical for the next question. At least it's hypothetical for now. Uh, maybe later it won't be. Uh, but if the band were sitting together in a room and listening to this podcast, what's the one thing you want to tell them? Well, I have a couple of things. Maybe it, I'll see if I have a couple of minutes more. But because I would first just I'd have to say this because um, my son has now um, created a uh, legendary uh, phrase which is uh, and I can say this to you Andrew I love you more than you love me no love backs and I just <laughs> I wouldn't like be able it. to help myself but say that first but I seriously though I'd have to start with that because you know Jude's a legend and I'd have to tell him that I said that but um, truly the hope I mean break the ice a little bit but I would just you know I would you know Andrew I've got to say I must preface this by I've thought about this question over the years and every time I would think about this question I'd stop myself because I get scared at the thought of that even happening because you know I've mentioned that I've had a few blunders um and, uh, you know, getting so tongue-tied, I'd only could imagine what I would say. But really what I would want to say was thank you so much for your music and, and, and decades of um, prolific healing. You know, it's not just music, it's, it's healing music. And um, there being the most stellar role models of amazing deeds for decades with their Obama Works philanthropy, and their commitments in particular that really struck me to assist in the restoration of low-income housing in Charlottesville. Um, I would, of course, 
congratulate Dave on his awesome book, If We Were Giants, and how much fun my son Jude and I are having reading it together at bedtime. And I would insist that, yes, of course, he is too a writer. Um, and if I had another two minutes of their time, I would really want to bring up the subject of guardian angels and how I grew to learn that I was, uh, how I was this for my dad and how truth, truly, honestly, how each of them have been this for me in my life. Um, as I've walked through my own places of suffering, unimaginable, yet never alone with my band of brothers. The music of Dave Matthews Band, you guys have been a constant source and stream of light in the dark for me. Through the death of five close college friends, the subsequent loss of my father's sight and hearing, and my own getting hit and run over by a bus, and the devastating passage of my father, and the immediate following of the miraculous birth of my son, they have always been there for me. And particularly impactful, synchronistic, and mystical way, and no way that nobody else could ever have been. I just, I really want to thank them for those gifts. So we'll start to wrap it up with another difficult question. Just in the same vein as the first couple questions. Um, but it's a matter of opinion, so there's no right or wrong. What's the overall message that the band's music relays to the listener? Well, if there's an overall message that I get is that you're never alone. We see you. We've got your back. We're all one. Um, there's a certainly... Um, a carpe diem, um, a, a real, again, this just sort of light in the dark, uh, beacon in the dark. I, I sometimes I associate them with the footprints in the sand, biblical um, story. Um, I've always felt that, you know, really being carried through hard times that alone I wouldn't even be able to face. So I feel that, um, you know, they really exemplify this oneness, um, this unity consciousness, and a light in the dark aspect. So, now's your chance to promote whatever it is you think the world needs to hear more of. It could be social media accounts or events, charities, foundations, whatever it is you want to talk about, take your time, the floor is yours. Thanks, Andrew. Well, first, I wanted to send out a heartfelt hello and a message of goodwill to every single person in the DMB family, um, in particular to all of our DMB family of healthcare workers, you guys. Everyone who is on the front line with such incredible heroism as you risk your own health and, the li and, li and your own lives on a daily basis to care for the lives of others. We're so grateful for your tremendous service. If you're not already, please follow these DMB family of true heroes as we, we are all so proud of them and so grateful that they're a part of the DMB family. Rhonda, who performs the testing for COVID-19 at her hospital, and um, her handle is Rhonda, bunch of numbers, and I don't have them here, but Rhonda will make sure that everybody connects with you. 
um, Joey at, at Firewalker 4, a professional fire lieutenant and paramedic. Um, thank you so much for your service. And representing healthcare around the world are our lovely ladies from Dave's global PR team, Fingertips and Kissing, All About Eddie, Lindsay Fielder, Shella Bella, and Jack and DMB. Anyone else in the DMB family of fans serving in those front lines, we all extend our most grateful thank yous for your tremendous service. And um, speaking of healthcare workers and nurses, I wanted to also give a special mention to a very special group. Um, they're the Friends of the United States Cadet Nurse Corps of World War II. And this is an organization formed in 2018 to honor the 120,000 forgotten members of the World War II United States Cadet Nurse Corps of 1943 to 1948. There are only a few members remaining in their mid-90s, and the goal of this organization is for those 120,000 women of, of service to be remembered and formally recognized as honorary World War II veterans with an American flag and gravesite plaque commemorating their proud service to the United States during wartime. If you will please follow our new feed at USCNCWW2, as in Roman numeral 2, this bill has been brought to Senator Elizabeth Warren, who has adopted the bill, and it's awaiting action on the U.S. Senate floor. Okay, and folks, if you want to have direct links to everything uh, that was shared today, if you go to dmbondemand.com slash podcast, you'll find this episode and you'll see the episode notes. They should also be visible to however you listen to your podcast, whether it be Apple, Google, Stitcher, SoundCloud, whatever, you'll find links to all of the handles and information that was discussed in this episode. So I want to take a moment just to thank you profoundly for coming in and and spending this time and opening up. Um, I know that it's not necessarily an easy thing to do, uh, but you did quite well and thank you for just taking your time and, and giving the answers the the breath that they deserve. Um, so with that, I think we will sign off. And hey, everybody, listen. We see you. We see you. If you're going through trouble, if you're having a low point, if you're struggling with mental illness, God forbid, if you're struggling with domestic abuse, we see you. So now you have only one job. The next time you go to the grocery, the next time you talk to a friend, the next time you talk to a family member, let them know that just like we see you, you see them. And that's the first step to being kind to one another. And that is what we need more than anything else. So the title of this episode and the content therein revolves around the thought of being seen. This week I'm going to tell you a story about a year where I was on display to be mocked, yet 
I wasn't seen at all. I'll give you some context first so that the story makes sense. When I was two years old, my father was out in the living room, my mother was at work, and I was a climber. I was in my bedroom and I must have decided to climb the dresser. On top of this dresser was a TV. Mind you, this is 1983. So TVs are big and bulky and heavy. As I got to the top, something happened and I started to lose my footing. This is all assumption. Um, started to lose my footing and fell down onto the ground and the TV came right after me. The knobs for the TV hit me square in the side of my head on the left side and my temple it cracked my skull and then it slid down until it hit the floor so there was some damage to my frontal lobe when this happened and back then they didn't have the science or the technology like they do today to think about these sort of things as far as development goes. Their biggest concern was me not having a huge scar, which by the way, to this day, not only do I have a huge scar, but if you look at my forehead, you can see and feel where the skull was fractured. Like I said, they didn't have a lot of the things that we have today to look at the layers and nuance of child brain development when accidents like these happened. So I can remember from kindergarten to grade two that my development was slow on all levels due to this. And it was frustrating and confusing for a kid. And I acted out negatively. I found that if I was in trouble, at least I was getting attention and somewhere in the wiring of my mind that logic made sense. My parents didn't know how to handle me at all to no fault of their own. I mean, these perspectives and, and these things that I found out as an adult, we didn't have that when I was a kid. I didn't have that reasoning as a kid, so the, there was no logic to it. They couldn't handle my acting out. It, was, it wasn't one or two things I chose to do. It was how I was wired. And so my mom, she worked a lot, wasn't home all that much. And, and my father's way of punishing me was to go cold, to not speak to me at all. No good morning, no I love you, no asking about school, just total silence I can't even explain to you how loud his silence was and he wouldn't break it for anything so not having the attention of my mother or father I started to figure out that if I was in trouble at least I was getting attention and 
So, look. The first week of grade three, I was eight years old. And I cheated on a paper. I remember getting the papers and erasing my name and putting somebody else's and then doing the same to theirs and not knowing that the handwriting was different enough that it was going to be pretty obvious. And then less than a week later, I disrupted the class. And that was pretty much it for the teacher at that point. Uh, the teacher wasn't going to have it and wanted to stop the problem child before it set in, you know, too deeply. She called home and told him what she had found out and what had happened. And I was grounded to my bedroom for the year at home with no interaction, none. No talking with my father, no talking with my mother. Uh, I was to come home, go to my room. I was to do my homework, tell him when I was going to bed, go to bed, wake up, stay in my room until I was ready to go to school. My dad would open the door, not say a word, and I would know it was time to leave. And that would be my routine. Um, sometimes, if I tried to talk to him too much, I wouldn't get dinner. Uh, I would say that happened once or twice a week. Um, but again, the silence was was deafening. And so when the teacher called, I got grounded for the year. But my father had another idea as well. He said that I should be removed from the classroom if at all possible. So him and my third grade teacher, Mrs. Toth, I'll never forget her came up with this idea. They moved my desk out into the hall after the first week of being there. And that's where I would stay for the rest of the school year. I thought maybe it would be a day, a week, uh, a month. Nope, it was going to be for the rest of the school year. And my dad's genius idea was to make sure that there could be very minimal interaction between me and the other kids. He suggested that they take a cardboard box, I'd imagine one about the size of um, for a refrigerator, and cut it down so that it could go around my desk wall to wall in a U shape or in a V shape to where kids walking by could see me easily, but I would have trouble seeing them as they got closer and I couldn't talk to them. So I was walled in, but visible to a bunch of second, third, fourth, and fifth graders. I was an animal in a cage when I was eight years old. I had one cage at school and one cage at home. And this was my life for this entire year. I was living with embarrassment for being seen in my cardboard cage, yet never really being seen at all. Not at school, not at work, not ever. My mental illness was setting in. The wiring 
that would set the pace for the next 10 to 20 years was being soldered together and the outcome wouldn't be good. There'll be plenty of stories where when looking back, my mental illness was seeding and growing and flourishing and then becoming the full-fledged monster living inside of my head that I dealt with for 30 years. Dealing with behavior I couldn't understand. Dealing with the lost relationships. Dealing with the isolation, the homelessness, the hunger, the drug use, the drug selling, the violence. It all makes sense now when I'm looking back, but it didn't then. People would ask me why I did what I did. I didn't know. I didn't want to do these things. But I did them. But this is where I first... It's hard to describe. This is where when looking back, now that I've been diagnosed with bipolar type 2 and other disorders, I can look back through my childhood and see how the development happened. How it started with this brain injury and then the conditions growing up were just the perfect petri dish for mental illness and this is where i i think the mental illness really started to flourish was this year when i was on display but unseen now if i were able to go back and give a lyric to that eight-year-old boy in his cage whether it be at home or at school I'm pretty sure I would want to give myself the opening lyric to American Baby and I know that's a weird choice when you think of the song name and you think of the content of the song but when you isolate the opening by itself it is pretty relevant it says if these walls came crumbling down fell so hard to make us lose our faith from what's left you'd figure it out and still make lemonade taste like a sunny day it would have probably been way beyond the understanding of an eight-year-old to translate but at some point I would have put together and found some peace in the thought of walls coming down. Of it being okay to lose my faith when they did. To have a reminder that I will eventually figure this pain out. And that I'll be able to make something out of the rubble of life that crumbled so young. So that is the song, or at least portion of the song, I would have given to myself when the mental illness was starting to come together because of the perfect elements of my childhood.